0: The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Good morning. It is a joy to be with you today and a joy to be able to share the word of the Lord with you. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you're new to Parkwood today, we work our way through the book of a Bible. So we're, we come today to 1 Corinthians 6 verses 1 through 11. Next week we'll pick up on verse 12 and so on week in and week out as we study through the Word of God. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, we're on page 954 in a chair Bible, uh, which is underneath a, a chair in front of you. I just had this conversation in the lobby a few minutes ago with a gentleman who didn't have a, a copy of the scripture, you're free to take that. Don't, don't feel any form of guilt about it. That's what they're there for. They're there for you to take it and to use it, particularly if you don't have one or if all you have is a version you that the language is such you don't understand. That's clear English, the ESV. Is what we use. Also, want to make sure you're aware of the guest cards in the back of a chair. If you're new to Parkwood, we'd love for you to take that card, fill out the information at the end of the service. We're going to take our offering, and we only want you to participate by placing that into the offering plate today as it is passed by you. So, 1 Corinthians 6 1 through 11, uh, just as several things in Corinth uh, have come up in the Corinthian letter. This is likely something you've never heard a sermon on before. Uh, You know it's in the Bible, but you've never had it explained to you. So I pray today that this would be fruitful for us as a church and for you uh, individually as we seek to bring application. So 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 11, would you stand as we acknowledge this is the Word of God. When one of you has a grievance against another... Does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? So, if you have such cases... But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. but You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that by the Spirit of our God. Let's pray. Father, I pray now for those who call upon the name of Jesus, who have been washed, sanctified, and justified in His name, and the Spirit of God indwells, that you will now teach us your word. And Holy Spirit, for those who have gathered among us who do not yet know you, I pray that you would take this text and apply it to their hearts and open their eyes to the gospel. We desperately need your help to understand this text and rightly apply it. Grant it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So when Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God, Matthew records how he describes, in what's called the Sermon on the Mount, what what you could describe as an upside-down kingdom. So Jesus says things like this. Well, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye. Jesus said, I say to you, if somebody strikes you on the right cheek, turn, them, turn to them the left one. If somebody sues you for your cloak, that is your outer garment, then give them your inner garment as well. He said this. The first will be last, and the last will be hmm." In the kingdom of God, losing is winning. And winning can actually be a defeat. Verse 7 of our chapter. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. You've got to ask this question. Why would somebody bring a lawsuit against someone else? To right a wrong, to exercise their rights, to seek vindication. But let's just bottom line it. The reason you sue is to win. And the kingdom of God takes a lawsuit and flips it upside down and says, when you sue one another in the church, it's a defeat. Now listen to this. For you. It's not just the individuals involved. It's a defeat for the church. The you here is plural. Now, how could you get here? Well, folks, in a culture like Corinth and in a culture like ours, it's not hard to get there. You see, Corinth was like uh, our culture. People were absolutely obsessed with their individual rights. And when we, as the people of God, adopt the the manner of the world around us, and we become obsessed with our individual rights, here's what will go from the people of God. Any need for repentance and any site of responsibility that God has placed on us for how we handle one another and how we behave in the world. So with that in our minds, let's focus in on what the main idea of this message is. Unresolved disputes between brothers and sisters in a local church Must be handled within the church for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now, let me just acknowledge something before I go any further. There are a bunch of you that have got pushback in your mind already. I can hear. Church has no business in private matters, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Hear the word of the Lord. Number one disputes between brothers and sisters will occur in the local church. These two little sweet people are in love, and they stand up here in front of me and they get married. And six weeks later, they, dis- they discover that this isn't what they thought. They have their first major argument. One of them does something completely stupid. Welcome to marriage. Part of living in a marriage is learning to overcome yourself, to deny yourself, and to love someone unconditionally. You come into a church. Oh, these are God's people. Everybody's so sweet and kind. And a dispute happens. Welcome to the church. So what do you do? He says, when? When? One of you has a grievance. He doesn't say if. He says when. When you get people together, disputes are inevitable. That's why he gave us Matthew 18. That's why I stopped last week and looked at Matthew 18. When someone sins against you, you go to your brother. It may be a disagreement or a misunderstanding. You go to each other to work it out. If that doesn't work, then you two or three or even the church. Ephesians 4 also assumes this. It says, Forgive one another. Talking about in the church, forgive each other. That means that it is inevitable that somebody's going to do something that hurts me. And that in Christ I am bound to forgive them. So, the issue at hand in 1 Corinthians 6 is a grievance. Let's define what a grievance is it's a matter of complaint. A dispute is another way to translate it. That's the word I've chosen to use in the outline. It's an alleged wrongdoing. It may or may not be legit. It may simply be, as I said a moment ago, a lack of understanding. So when this grievance occurs, this grievance has got to be dealt with. Now, let me take a sidebar for a moment. I've probably had as much conversation about this this morning in this sermon as anything, positively. Because of the nature of Parkwood and the vast nature of what you folks do for a living and the expertise and the things you're able to do, you're inevitably at some point probably going to end up in some form of business with a member of this church. Can I give you some counsel as pastor here? Don't do it without a contract. I can hear some of you go, well, shouldn't we trust each other? Yes, you ought to trust each other enough to establish a contract. So if a disagreement occurs between the two of you, you have an original place to look to say, this is what we agreed on at the beginning. And if you had to go to the next level to help somebody solve your dispute, there's a point of reference in which you began the relationship and which ensued between you. So disputes between brothers and sisters will occur in the local church. Point number two. Disputes must not become lawsuits outside the church for the sake of the kingdom of God. End of verse 1. Does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? The saints is a reference to the church at Corinth, to God's redeemed people. He begins here and he ends there in verse 11 of describing who God's people are. So he's saying if the matter cannot be resolved between the two parties, the use of the judicial system is not the answer. Now let's make sure we make a distinction here. What we're talking about here is civil court. This passage is not dealing with criminal court. If someone commits a crime against someone else in the church, a crime is a crime. And according to Romans, God has given us the civil authorities to deal with those crimes and to met out judgments in this world. So let me just be clear with you. One of the problems going on in a lot of Southern Baptist churches is there have been these sexual crimes, particularly um, relationships that have happened uh, with minors that have been covered up in churches. We will not do that. We will call the police immediately. That is a criminal matter. That is not something that we handle with each other. When a crime is committed, our first phone call is the police. We'll then deal with the forgiveness issues and things forward. Now, we're not talking about a criminal matter, though. We're talking about a civil matter. We're talking about a dispute between two people. Listen to what it says. Does he dare go to law? The word dare here is a very strong word. It means to be defiant. Do you defy the church and go outside of the church and go to the law? Verse 4. Now, I understand we're skipping 2 and 3. We're coming back. If you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? Now, when he uses the word standing here, he's not talking about expertise. He's saying, why are you going to someone who does not have the spirit of God? Why are you going outside of the church to to someone who is of the kingdom of man? And when you do this, he says, verse 5, I say this to your shame. Then he asks a rhetorical question. You've got to get this question right in the context or you misinterpret Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? This has been the second point of conversation I've had this morning. Is that Some people have interpreted this to say that Paul is saying here there was nobody at Corinth to dispute it. That's wrong. You're misreading the question in the context of the verse. The next point will clear up that there is somebody there who can solve this. What Paul's doing here is is actually being sarcastic. If you read the beginning of the letter, he, he points out that the Corinthians think they are very wise. And they call Paul a fool. So now he's asking the question. He's saying, excuse me, so there's nobody wise enough to handle this situation among you? I say this to your shame. We don't, we don't settle disputes outside of the brothers and sisters. He says, but brother goes to brother and that before unbelievers. Brother goes to law against brother. We share an intimacy of belonging to the same spiritual family. Now listen to me carefully. That goes beyond the blood family we have of this world. You say, well, I don't know about that. Which family is going to last forever? The spiritual family is. All who are in this family will abide together forever. Our loyalty to the family should outweigh our desire to be defrauded. And we should not go outside of the family to settle disputes. Another pushback I know that's out there. Why would you preach this sermon? This isn't happening. Oh, but brothers and sisters, you, you would not, I, I, it'll happen after this service. I've had conversation after conversation after conversation this morning. This is relevant. Now here's how I know it's going to become even more relevant. It used to be that blood families stuck together. Now you watch somebody leave $100,000 And watch what a family who love each other will do. Don't you think that that kind of mentality is not going to find its way into the church? And Paul says it can't. This is not what we do. This is not how we function. This is not how we act. But there's a deeper even issue than that. When we abandon the kingdom of God and we go to the kingdom of man to solve a problem... We're ignoring something very fundamental to us as Christians. What God has called us to do as representatives of the kingdom of God, as ambassadors for Christ, is to penetrate the kingdom of man with the kingdom of God. And when you go before unbelievers with a grievance in public, you are casting a dark shadow on the kingdom of God. You're doing something bigger than your problem. So disputes must not be handled outside the church. Disputes must be handled within the church for the sake of the kingdom of God. Verse 2. Do you not know that saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels how much more than matters pertaining to this life? Let me just give a couple of warnings, particularly for growth groups. Paul is not getting in to the theological jigsaw puzzle of eschatology. Don't launch into a big discussion at Growth Group about who judges what and when and which angels are we talking about. Don't do that. That's not the point. Very simple point. You're going to judge the world? You're going to judge angels? I'll give you one background for it. Matthew 19:28. Jesus said, Truly I say to you in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also assist on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So don't get hung up on the final detail, the finer details here. Let's see the primary purpose of why he's saying this. He's making an argument from the greater to the lesser. So he uses the word trivial. You see that? Trivial. So somebody could look at this text and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Paul's talking about something very specific. This is, he's talking about really small, trivial matters. No, that's not what he means. What he means is whatever this instance is between you compared to what you're about to do in eternity, it's trivial. It's small. It's a matter pertaining to this life. So how much more, he says. So if you are going to judge the world and angels as followers of Jesus, then you can offer wise judgment on disputes between believers on matters pertaining to life. Now, I got to ask this question. It's a good, fair question. Should have prepared better. Well, who can do that in the church? The answer is any mature Christian. You say, well, if it's too complicated for that mature Christian, then you go to a more mature Christian. Somebody who's been walking with Jesus longer. Somebody who knows their Bible more. Hopefully you've got these built in in your growth group, your growth group leader. You have elders, pastors. They're people to apply to. You don't have to have somebody who's an expert in that field. It's a matter of bringing the judgment of God's word down on what is transpiring. You say, well, I just don't know oh, about that. Exodus 18. The children of Israel leave Egypt. When you find Exodus 18, they're all coming to Moses and Moses is spending all day long offering judgment, Jethro comes to him and says, don't do that, break this thing down. And they had sm- dealt with smaller matters, and as they increased, they actually, some of them ended up with Moses, but most of them were handled among the people of Israel. So if you're pushing back to this truth, I think you're doing so for two reasons. Number one, you lack an understanding of what the church really is. That the church is not a place where you go for worship or to get some preaching or to get some fellowship. The church is the body of Christ. It is God's means of bringing the kingdom of God to bear in this world. The church, the body of Christ, affects our lives more than one day a week. Second thing, if you're pushing back to this truth, you have a greater understanding or a greater defense of the individual than you do of the kingdom. This is really the core issue with a lot of what's going on in Christianity. People come up to me and say, well, so-and-so was complaining to me and you really need to know that. Really? Do I need to know that? First of all, that's gossip. Second, is that helping me? Because here's what they're really saying. That person's really important and you need to do what they say. No, no. No, here's what's important. The Word of God is important, and we need to do what the Bible says. We need to quit yielding to some grumpy individual. Now, let's just get down to the brass tacks. Here's what can happen in a church. Whoever's the grumpiest and loudest rules. That's not God's design, that the grumpy, loud people rule. It's that God's Word rules. The Spirit of God rules. And we are to bring judgment to bear according to the word of God. So he makes one final appeal because, because you would think at this point, people would say, okay, I get it. I understand. You still have people going through with it. And here's the final appeal that disputes must not proceed from disputed wrong to blatant wrong. So I want to be clear here. The dispute has never been minimized to say it's nothing. What, what, What Paul's laying forth here is a way to deal with the dispute. But when you take a disputed wrong and say, all right, I'm taking this to the court, Paul says, now you've done a blatant wrong. Whether or not this dispute, there was right or wrong done, you've now done wrong. Look at the text. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. And not only have you done wrong, you've drugged the rest of us into it. To defeat for all of us, plural. Why not suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. So in an attempt to win, you lose. In your attempt to get justice for a disputed wrong, you do wrong and you defraud. Lawsuits hardly ever end where they began. They get bigger, bigger, messier, more and more money is spent, more and more accusations surface that lead to deeper heartache and deeper embarrassment for those involved and for the Christian, also the kingdom of God. You not only lose, we all lose. Now he deepens the appeal to the members of the church by appealing to them as followers of Jesus. Jesus. Question. Did our king suffer wrong? Yes. Did our king suffer injustice? Yes. Did our king suffer injustice by his own people? Yes. So, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? So I have a principle. I'm I'm not afraid to use church members for things. I'm not. If you're going to do business with me, we're going to have some kind of contractual agreement between us. Okay? But when I enter into that with you, here's how I enter in. You might take me for it. You can have it. You can have it. You say, well, that's not right. What if that dude or woman's doing it to everybody else? Well, that's what Matthew 18's for. And when somebody starts swindling multiple members of the church out of money, then we deal with that according to Matthew 18. But in terms of us, the court is not the method. We'd rather be wronged and we'd rather be defrauded. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Now, this applies to this whole lawsuit issue. Don't do wrong for the sake of wrong. And and, and this gets beyond you. It gets into the public eye. So if it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. This is a quote from Herman Ritterboss. For the sake of the kingdom, Jesus wants his disciples to give up their rights, interests, benefits, and safeguards. Now, he hears your pushback, This is not saying that the kingdom of God consists of having no property or the absence of rights entirely. It means that in God's kingdom we represent something higher than the hierarchy of human values and human interests. The righteousness of the kingdom teaches us that we do everything in subjection to the king. Verse 8. That you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. The lawsuit, the use of one is wrong. And it takes from your own family. That's what he says. Now he's going to develop a third argument. And this argument in verses nine through 11 is the linchpin between one through eight and 12 through 20. In other words, we're going to start where we leave off next week. Now here's my question in the so what, and we'll try to make sense of it. Does the Lord Jesus Christ define my life or does wrongdoing? Or let me say it this way. Does the kingdom of God define my life or the kingdom of man? Now you've got to see this connection. If you don't see this connection, you're not going to see how this ties together. He says in verse 8, you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you know how you could translate the word unrighteous? Some of your translations have it. Do you not know that the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Oh, so you're saying if I file a lawsuit, I'm going to hell? That's not what I'm saying, and that's not what Paul's saying. Listen carefully. What Paul is saying is if that's indicative of your life, if that's how you live, you're not a child of the king. And he includes multiple things here that were going on in Corinth at this point in time. This is not an exclusive list of why you wouldn't inherit the kingdom. He's being very specific to what was happening among the Corinthian people. Then he concludes in verse 11 where I want to start. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. If you've been here a few weeks, indicative to the imperative. Who you are, indicative... God takes who you are, and then He commands you to do. He doesn't start just with the command. The command is based off who you are. So who are you if you're a Christian? You're not what you used to be. Such were some of you. Who are you? You are washed. You have been cleansed of your sin. Your sins have become whiter than snow. You are sanctified. That means you are set apart. That God has set you apart. Holy. To be used of him. And then he makes this incredible claim of the Bible. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means that the king of the universe has declared you righteous. It's a judgment term. This is the judgment Christ has placed on all who trust and believe in him. Righteous. That this is what's true of his people. They've been washed sanctified and justified now the imperative it's in verse 9 halfway through i want to see if you see it do not be what oh when this world around us all this sin is swirling and here's what's swirling right now Sexual sin is under our nose, everywhere. It's swirling, it's everywhere. It's all around us. It's pressing in on us. It's pressing in on us. Don't be deceived. Do you be deceived? Does you practice these things? They're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Let's work through the list just very briefly. I can already tell you where your mind, if you're a good conservative evangelical, I know where your mind's hung. It's hung on one word. Ugh. It's homosexuals. They're invading everything. Well, I agree that homosexuality is bringing a lot of repute on our culture and a lot of pressure on Christians. But you better watch what you're letting go. As adulterers sit on the road beside of us and we ignore it.. As sexually immoral fill our homes and we ignore it. As greedy people, that's just the way he is. It's how he does business. Swindlers. When's the last time it's ever occurred to you that greed and homosexuality are both reasons why people will not inherit the kingdom of God? I just want that to sit on you for a moment. How those two things come together. I'll get to this later in my preaching. We're coming here in Corinthians. Idolatry. How people will now lay aside the worship of God on Sunday and do all sorts of matters of things. That's idolatry. Oh, I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. Yeah, Paul's going to go on. You're free. you free. But you understand this. How you practice freedom indicates who you are. And those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, let's tie this together. What is the motivation who someone who practices lawsuit, lawsuit, lawsuit. Oh, they figure something out. Oh, yeah. These billboards up and down the highways and these commercials for injury lawyers. Now, I'm not saying somebody couldn't be injured and need an injury lawyer. I'm not saying that. Don't write me letters. But are they appealing to people who've been injured who need help? Or are they appealing to this? Come on now, we know. That's how this all ties together. Do you know this? I was having a conversation with a former fireman who used to drive the truck. Here's what he told me. He said, have you noticed how in Gastonia all the fire trucks slow down at intersections and creep across? You know why? Because in Gastonia, people will intentionally pull out in front of the fire truck." Let's think about how, how insanely greedy we've become that you're going to pull out in front of a multi-ton fire truck so you can get some money. Come on! This is how nuts our culture has, has gone. And don't think this nuts feel isn't affecting us. Don't be deceived. Those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, 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 there's a way Christians function. Turn to Ephesians 4. There's a way Christians function. It's upside down. It doesn't look like the rest of the world. Ephesians 4, 25. By the way, all those sins involve people. All of them. And all these things that Paul describes here in Ephesians 4 involve people. Therefore, having put away falsehood, who you once were, let each one speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. He's talking about the church here. We are connected to each other in Christ. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity for the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth and only what is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Brothers and sisters, let me just pause right here and oh to God that we would together reckon with the fact that it is entirely possible that I, or you have been grieving the Spirit of God. That week after week you come in here practicing sin and singing with smiles when you are in fact grieving the Spirit of God. We must see sin for what it is and we must repent. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away with you from you with all malice. Have you noticed how freely people say this? I hate so and so. What? I've had people say that to me in the church. They hate some. What? The Bible says for you to put away hatred. That's not who you are. Or maybe it is who you are. Maybe that is who you are. And that ought to scare you. Because here's what the kingdom looks like. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Oh, well, wait a minute, Jeff, you, you you don't know what he did to me. I don't. But I know what I did to God. And God in Christ forgave me. There's my motivation. There's your motivation. That God in Christ has forgiven you. So forgive each other. Be kind to each other. Be tenderhearted to each other. Be the people of the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are our savior king. You have saved us from our sin. And you have called us to yield our lives to you and follow you and to live under your rule and reign in every facet of our lives. So I pray for those who claim to be Christians who have no intention of following you as king may they realize according to the Scripture that is not possible. May they repent of their sin now and turn to Christ as Lord and Savior. Lord, for those who have been deceived and found themselves caught up in sin, may they repent now and cease to grieve the Spirit of God. May they respond to the pressing work of the Spirit on their heart and life right now and confess their sin. God, I pray. That as we rise to sing of that which is true of every follower of Christ. That there is nothing that can wash away our sin but the blood of Jesus. Thank you for saving us and calling us to yourself. Do your work now, we pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.